the folding stools of the ancient Egyptian pharaohs, the gilded thrones of 17th century European monarchs, the sleek modern look of the Eames chair are all examples of how humans have designed sitting furniture throughout history that serve a dual purpose, both practical and aesthetic. But why do some chairs never go out of style, and why do uh, we even sit in chairs in the first place? Joining us now on today's Please Explain is architect and University of Pennsylvania professor Vitold Rybczynski, the author of Now I Sit Me Down, From Eclismos to Plastic Chair and Nat- a Natural History. It's published by Farris Strauss and Giroux, and I'm very pleased to welcome you back to our show. Hi, Leonard. It's a pleasure to be here. And we invite our listeners to join the conversation. You can call us at 212-433-9692. If you have questions about the history of chairs or chair designs, give us a call. Or you can write to us on our show page at wnyc.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Uh, Vitold, you write that stools are the simplest form of sitting furniture. Do we know how long stools have existed? Our, most of our evidence of early furniture comes from the Egyptians. So we're talking about maybe 2000 B.C., uh, and the stool seems to be the earliest chair because it's the simplest chair to, to build. So if you want to sit on something while you're working or for convenience, it's easy to build a stool, and uh, they're, it's most likely the, the first chair is, is the stool, and then it it sort of develops from there. Usually with three legs? Usually with three legs because st- floors were rough, ch- chairs were used outside, and a three-legged stool is always solid. So uh, it's most likely that that was the very first stool, and then we, and then you get four-legged stools and chairs which, which evolve out of that. And back stools. The backstool was was an a early European word which referred to a stool with a board mortised into it to give you some back support. So it was essentially a, a, a simple stool, but it did have this piece of of wood basically that that gave you some support. And it's really the ancestor of the chair because once you get a backstool, then people start thinking about different ways of building it and the and the chair really develops from that. And backstools were more about, uh, stools and backstools, more about practicality than comfort or style. What happens uh, when uh, we start seeing differentiations for class? Um, Has sitting furniture always been an indicator of social status? I think you could say that. It's, it's, it, it, of course, we have thrones for very important people, but it, when you look at the Egyptian wall paintings, uh, stools are very common and they're used by everybody, but chairs were really reserved for more important people. So partly because they were more complicated to build, but also they, furniture and status always seem to go together. And you also see that in Europe in, up to the Middle Ages, very few people use chairs. And if you look at old paintings, people are on sitting on benches or stools. But the chairs are extremely rare, and 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 when you do find them, it's always a mark of importance. It, it's a it's a status symbol, uh, and and even until today, 
uh, I remember in the 50s and 60s in offices, different people had different chairs. You had executive chairs and manager chairs and stenographer chairs. And it was a, a, a hierarchy of chairs. And so the chair you sat in was very important. Have grander, taller chairs always been used as a way to convey power and authority? I'm thinking of the thrones, of maybe Napoleon's throne, for example. Yes, they, that's that's the case. Uh, partly, it's it makes the it sort of symbolizes the person. So even when when the the throne is not occupied, it stands for the king. And we talk about ascending to the throne, and the the, the throne itself becomes a symbol of majesty. Uh, but also it impresses people when they see somebody in the throne. So as you said, the back is higher. Uh, it, often the, the more important chairs are actually taller. We, we're sort of used to chairs being one height. But in the history of chairs, there have been many heights of chairs. There are uh, lots of chairs which required footstools because they were taller and they raised up the person, which, which is always a, a symbol of importance. What happened in second century China that shifted the culture from floor sitting to chair sitting? Well, China is so interesting if you're writing a history of chairs because it's, it's actually a unique example of a culture that makes that shift voluntarily, not because, you know, they've been colonized by somebody as, say, India was, where Indians sat on the ground, but when the British occupied India, furniture was sort of brought in as part of that, whereas the Chinese adopted it on their own. And the Chinese, like the Japanese, were a floor-sitting culture, so they used mats and they uh, very low tables, and everything took place on the, on the floor or on the ground. Uh, and, and then a very long time ago, uh, around 1000 AD, uh, they started using sitting furniture uh, and very quickly uh, shifted from sitting on the ground to sitting on furniture and, and really stopped using, uh, stopped sitting on mats and moved up to what we would call Western furniture. But of course, this is actually predates a lot of Western furniture. So their their furniture in many ways, is an ancestor of ours. I'm speaking to Vitold Rybczynski, whose latest book is Now I Sit Me Down, From Klismos to Plastic Chair, A Natural History. It is published by Farris Strauss and Giroux. This is WMIC, WMIC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. Several cultures around the world, in the Middle East, uh, although not I don't know whether Egypt, which had its own chairs, uh, continued to have chairs, whereas other Middle Eastern areas didn't. Uh, there's also indigenous people in South America and the Japanese and Korean cultures. People still practice floor sitting on woven mats. Why did that continue? Weren't the Japanese and Koreans, for example, aware of chair sitting uh, for nearly as long as the Chinese have been? Oh, yes. I think we shouldn't think of... of furniture is a kind of evolution. There have been very advanced cultures like the Japanese uh, or the Persians uh, who simply preferred to sit on the ground. They knew about furniture. The Japanese definitely knew about Chinese chairs because they copied many things from China. Uh, but they didn't copy furniture. They just uh, preferred uh, to use floor mats. 
Uh, one, when you when you don't use furniture, it changes a lot of things. The architecture changes. You have different customs, like taking your shoes off because the the floor is where you're sitting. So it, you normally leave the shoes at, on, when you enter a house. So so shifting is actually kind of a major cultural shift, <clears throat> which many cultures prefer not to make, uh, and they don't they don't see chairs as something superior or better, uh, just as we, we think of sitting on the ground as just different. We do it because when people have a picnic, they sit on the ground, or we go to the beach, we sit on the ground, but we wouldn't, we find it just too odd to sit on the ground if we're inside the house. Uh, and I think it, for people who are used to sitting on the floor and and working, sitting down, if you travel in India, for instance, you see people doing all sorts of activities without furniture. Uh, for them, it's just too odd to sit on a, a bench or to to eat on a on a table or to work standing up. It's a it becomes just a natural thing, and and has continued to be in in many countries. Although certainly, since the Industrial Revolution, furniture has sort of accompanied industrialization in many countries. Uh, and so we we think of sitting on the ground as something primitive, but that's really not correct. It's, a, it's simply a different custom. Doesn't sitting in chairs have an effect on the human body that's different than sitting on the floor? Uh, uh, you certainly get used to one or the other. I think it's not more natural or... Are more comfortable to sit on the ground. There are many, many cultures that sit on floor mats, for instance, which have all sorts of back supports, cushions, and various types of back supports. So people get just as tired and want to lean back against something when they're sitting on the ground. But you certainly, over time, will develop muscles to accommodate that. So if you sit cross-legged, if you're used to that, it feels natural. If you're not used to it, you'll, it will feel uncomfortable very quickly. So certainly the body sort of adjusts itself to different postures. Do we know why the ancient Greeks and then later the Romans preferred to recline while they socialized? And is that led to, well, they, most, of the, most of they did that on the floor, didn't they? But did that lead later to the invention of sofas and chaise lounges? I think as far as we know, the couches for, say, for reclining at the dining table are, are ancient. So the Egyptians, and even before the Egyptians, we see uh, couches being used. So that, and the couch is a very simple piece of furniture to, to make. And I think one of the, the couches that the Romans used, for instance, and the Greeks are very tall. They're not, they're not low the way a bed is today. They're, they were about three or four feet tall. You, you needed a footstool to get up into mm-hmm. it. And I think part of that was you didn't want the servants, you didn't want to look at the feet of servants and re- literally lie on the ground. You wanted to be raised up. It was more dignified. Uh, reclined dining is a puzzle because it lasts for hundreds of years. The Egyptians, the Greeks, and the Romans all reclined at the table, and then it it simply disappears. And so in in Europe, for instance, when there's a renaissance and people rediscover classical architecture, they, they copy Roman buildings, but they don't copy 
lying at the table, even though it's actually quite, I would imagine, pleasant and and quite healthy to eat lying down. Of course, it, you need a lot of servants, which may have been one of the reasons that it disappeared. It actually comes up in the Jewish Haggadah for uh, Passover, where uh, on that night people recline, they don't recline on other nights. Well, the truth is that probably the Last Supper was people reclined at the table. Uh, all the European later paintings show people sitting because they it would have been too strange to people to to imagine the Last Supper as a, as a recline, but that in truth they were probably reclining, not sitting at a table. Let's take a call from Orla, from Manhattan. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, Leonard. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say, as uh, a yoga teacher, you will notice that Asian people are much more open in their hips because, typically, because of anyone who comes from Asia, I should say. Um, because of the practice of sitting on the floor, and it also keeps people stronger much later into life because of having to get up and down from the floor. Professor Rudzinski? Well, Asia, I would say not China. Most Chinese sit on furniture and uh, unless they really uh, can't afford it. But the chair has an ancient history in China. So that's certainly true in in Korea and Japan and other parts of Asia, uh, and also true all throughout most of Africa, there people are are still used to sitting on mats and sitting on the floor. So uh, I'm sure it's the observation, though, is probably true that it it affects the body and and the posture certainly. You describe chairs as a tool with an artistic dimension, but if you sit on it, can it still be considered art? Is it practical art? It's, I think chairs have always been considered a kind of art, partly because it's one of the things that happens when you sit on a chair is that you don't see the chair anymore. You see the person. But chairs are always looked at because they're, they're simply in, in the room unoccupied, and they become objects in the room that are part of the decor. And, and right from the very beginning, there, some of the furniture that's been found in Egyptian tombs is very beautiful. It's beautifully made. It's made out of expensive materials. There's a lot of craftsmanship in it, inlaid wood and precious metals. So it was clear that right from the beginning, there's a sense that the chair can be both a beautiful object just to, that you can look at and admire, as well as a practical object, which is, I think, one of the fascinating things about chairs is that they really have both functions. Uh, and, and a lot of the effort that goes into making chairs is often to make them in a more beautiful way, as, uh, not necessarily only to make them more functionally uh, successful. Are they mostly European? Did all of Europe wind up adopting chairs fairly early? Uh, well, it, it really starts in, in Egypt. The Egyptians, we should know, sat both on the ground and on chairs, so it was actually a complicated culture. It wasn't one or the other. If you see pictures, and you see very important-looking people sitting on the ground, so it wasn't it was it was clear that they they had the opportunity to do both um, 
You can see the, a little bit of this in present-day India. The Indians sleep on beds. They're, unlike the Japanese, they tend not to sleep on the ground. Uh, but other things are done on the ground. Uh, so they might eat sitting on, the flo on a mat or a carpet on the floor. They might work sitting down on the ground. Uh, but but they, the one piece of furniture that they do have, up, upright furniture, are beds. Um, so it spread from Egypt to, to Europe um, pretty consistently. So Through the Greeks uh, with the Klismos? The Greeks were... Uh, the Klismos is, is a Greek chair, which is a very special chair because it, it's a very beautiful chair. We, it's, it's portrayed in many Greek sculptures and paintings, so we know a lot about it, even though no actual chairs have survived from ancient Greece because they most likely would and they just didn't last. But, uh, but there were so many paintings and sculptures, and it's a very beautiful chair, uh, and it's it's a unique chair. It's not like an Egyptian chair. Uh, it it seems to come out of nowhere, literally. It just appears suddenly. It lasts for several hundred years, and then it sort of disappears. So the Romans did not use them. They they knew about them because they copied all sorts of things from the Greeks. But they they just ignored this chair, and it's really only in the 18th century when Europeans sort of rediscover Greece after the, the Turkish occupation ends, and then Greek architecture and, and Greek lit literature and art get rediscovered, and so does the chair. And that, that's where chair makers, architects, and other people start designing chairs based on this Greek chair. And there's a lot of examples, uh, both in Europe and America, of chairs that use the Klismos as a model, even though it's thousands of years old. Witold Rybczynski is an award-winning writer, author of many books, and an emeritus professor of architecture at the University of Pennsylvania. The latest book is Now I Sit Me Down, From Klismos to Plastic Chair and Natural History, published by Farris Strauss and Giroux. We'll continue our conversation after this. And we are back with our Please Explain Look at Chairs. Our guest is Witold Rybczynski, who's written a book called Now I Sit Me Down, From Klismos to Plastic Chair, A Natural History. Uh, and uh, you're a, you, a professor of architecture. I was thinking about all of the architects who have designed chairs, uh, Marcel Breuer, uh, oh, I don't know, Charles and, and Ray Eames. Uh, we've had uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, has it always been has there always been a connection oh yes it goes back even earlier than that i think part of it is when when architects started uh, designing the interiors of buildings uh, they wanted to complement their architectural ideas and that often required uh, coming up with special furniture or wallpapers or numerous parts of the decor that were that that were suitable to that kind of building. So for instance, Benjamin Latrobe, who was one of the first professional architects in the United States, uh, when he was redecorating the White House, he designed Klismos chairs for the White House because he wanted uh, that style and it wasn't something he could just go out and buy and so he designed it. So Are they still there? 
Oh no, the, these there's there's some of them have survived. I think they're probably in the Smithsonian, uh, but uh, no, they they've been replaced over the years. We have invited listener calls. Our number here is two one two four three three nine six nine two. You can also write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Michael from Brooklyn, you're on the air. Oh, hi there. I'm um, in a car but not moving. Uh, just a quick observation. I have occasion to visit Japan sometimes where I have an adult son living, and they have been making an adaptation where you can go into a private home or into a restaurant, and most of the people, Japanese, are sitting on the floor, and the table is only about a foot high, but there will be a pit underneath all or part of the table, maybe two feet deep, where you can dangle your, your legs so Westerners can sit on the floor you know, and next to the Japanese who are sitting there with their legs crossed, but you have the comfort of, um, you know, having your legs kind of dangling underneath the table. So everybody's at the same low table, but there's not this requirement that everybody sit on the floor, literally. And I, I find that like trying to sit like that excruciatingly difficult. I lose my balance and my legs get sore. <laughs> and that just seems to be something that is happening. You see it in restaurants and, and in some private homes. That's it. Let's just make that up. Now, which makes your legs sore? The the adaptation so or sitting cross-legged? Oh, sitting cross-legged. I mean, if I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my 60s, and if I sit on the floor and have to sort of cross my legs and try to, you know, eat and so forth, my back starts to hurt, and I literally can kind of lose my balance. So I find it very difficult to sit a la japonais, you might say. I, I, can, I can do much better sitting on the low table with the feet dangling in the in the little pit underneath. Thank you. That's all. Okay, thank you for calling. But I want to do a follow-up to that. Um, We've been told on this show that chair sitting, the position of chair sitting is inherently damaging to our posture. It's bad for our spines. So um, are the Japanese right to be sitting cross-legged on the tatami mat? I, I don't think so. I, th- I think the current research into sitting is partly a, most of the research I came across, which I talk about in the book, is based not on a, on sitting in chairs. It's just talking about sitting generally. And when you think about sitting, whether you're driving a car or sitting on a train or or sitting at a desk, uh, an, an enormous amount of our our lives is spent in a sedentary position, much more than say several hundred years ago, when you know people rode horses instead of driving cars. So they were getting exercise when they were traveling, whereas if you sit in a car, you're you're sitting. And so certainly, this when you sit too much, it's unhealthy. And some recent health reports have declared that sitting is the new smoking and that our sedentary lifestyles are killing us. Yeah, those are, I mean, that's, he, that's a headline that's meant to grab your attention. <laughs> uh, the truth is that if you, that, and I, I point this out in the book, basically the body is not made to sit. The body is, does really well when it's lying down prone, which is, when, which is how we spend a good part of our lives sleeping, uh, or, or when you're walking or running. Uh, 
when you have to sit, the, the, the way our muscles work, the fact that you start to cut the circulation to the body by, by sitting down makes it uncomfortable. And that the, the only solution to extended sitting is to move around, to get up periodically. Uh, it's virtually impossible to design a seat that solves the problem because it's in some ways, as I quote somebody saying in the book, it's an insoluble problem. Sitting is not, there's no such thing as a perfect seat. All seats are to a certain extent imperfect and that's why standing up, moving around, uh, seats that are more uh, commodious, that allow movement, tend to be more comfortable because you can cross your legs or you can shift your body weight, you can lean on one side or the other. Uh, that's the very important function of arms on a chair. It's not, it's, it's to allow you to move your, to redistribute your body weight whenever you want to. When we're so in, all of those things make chairs more comfortable. When we're in an airplane and there's very little space for our legs, are we causing ourselves more problems? Yes. Yes, if you watch people in an auditorium or in a kind of place with room, you'll see that people are constantly crossing their legs. You know, they'll put one arm on the back of the chair, then the other arm. They'll shift the body around. They'll lean forward. Uh, they'll lean backward. They'll move in the chair. Uh, we talk about sitting on the edge of your seat, but actually that's an important way of redistributing things is to people do that constantly because they're, they don't want to get stuck in one position. And I think that's why pe people dislike planes so much is that you can't do any of those things. You can't really, you, can't, you almost can't cross your legs in, in many planes today. So you're really stuck in one position and no matter how much, you know, how comfortable the seat is, you're going you're gonna to feel discomfort very quickly. Manu from Manhattan. Hi, you're on the air. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I was wondering whether the writer has considered the African benches and stools. Uh, almost every culture has them. I, I, I think a lot of them are have handles where people just carry, probably men, mostly men, carry their own uh, bench or stool wherever they go somewhere, and they put it on the ground and sit on. And... Uh, I have I have one which I use when I uh, kneel in meditation, and this has uh, it's like a it's like a very simple saddle on top of a cube, but most of the cube has been hollowed out at I imagine great effort, and then the bench itself has been uh, has designs on it. It's very beautiful, uh, so I think it was designed to look good and feel good. It, uh, it's very comfortable to sit on, and it also has beautiful designs on it. I think many cultures have that. Has the writer any have considered uh, writing a book or adding, or does he consider the uh, African bench in this book? I did not consider Africa mainly because I visited a few places in Africa, but uh, I don't have enough first-hand experience. And I, in this book, I did try, in terms of contemporary furniture, to limit myself to things that I'd actually tried myself uh, and not simply seen. But uh, Africa is certainly an interesting case because it, 
there are all sorts of sitting devices which are slightly different than what you find in other countries, as well as this overlap between sitting up uh, or sitting close to the ground or sitting on the ground. Jack from Manhattan, hi, you're on the air. Uh, hi, I, I've observed that during Tudor times they still had hard benches and hard seats, and then somewhere during the 1600s and 1700s we began to see upholstered furniture emerge, and I wanted to know, I thought that this would have come out of the courts, but then that got very elaborate, and wingback chairs with the English and, and the French furniture, Louis 14, 15, 16. How did that occur, and to what extent did that expand from those countries to other areas of Europe as well? Uh, I the caller is quite correct about the time frame. Uh, one of the most important discoveries in chairs is upholstery, and that happens in the 1600s. Uh, it's really a function of more and more people using chairs. As long as chairs are very special, if, only, if there's only one chair in the house, uh, you're not going to develop ways of building that chair because there, the, the there is no chair industry, there's no guild of craftsmen who specialize in chairs because there aren't enough chairs around. And side chairs and chairs generally start being popular in the 1500s and 1600s. Uh, and they, they it's not so much a trickle down. They very quickly de uh, become uh, something that everybody's using, and it's at that point that initially people have cushions, then they, they develop, people building the chairs develop upholstery and they figure out how to stuff the chair, this upholstery with animals. Uh, Horsehair was one of the most common things, uh, and you get a whole cr craft guild which only specializes in upholstery, and it gets very complicated so they can upholster sofas and entire chairs and give the shape to the chair. I'm sitting in a wing chair, for instance, which, which is completely upholstered. There's, there's really virtually no bare wood except for the, the legs, uh, and that, that develops in the 18th century. So uh, it really it's a function of prosperity and of, of larger numbers of people being able to afford chairs, and, and then of people specializing in building chairs. What about the Eames chair, which had a reputation for being the most comfortable? What made it special, or have others come along since that have replaced it? You're thinking of the lounge chair? Yes, uh, every psychiatrist yeah. supposedly yeah. had an Eames chair at one point because they sat so much throughout the day. Well, the lounge, the Eames chair, in many ways, is a response to the recliner. The, the recliner, which is an American invention, predates the Eames chair, and the 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 company that manufactured chairs, modern chairs, wanted to have a modern type of recliner, but they found the recliner to be too heavy and traditional looking so that Eames design which is which has metal legs and is lighter it doesn't recline but it provides a similar type of posture because you can put your legs up on the footstool uh, it, it's actually a modern response a modern designer's response to the traditional recliner which was being 
had become very popular in the 50s and 60s. Vitold Vibchinsky is Professor Emeritus of Architecture at the University of Pennsylvania, the author of many books. He's been our guest on today's Please Explain Look at Chairs because his latest book is Now I Sit Me Down from Clismos to Plastic Chair and Natural History. It's published by Farrah Strauss and Giroux. Thank you so much for being on our show again. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Leonard.